Like, well, do I put the peanut butter on with my hands? Like, um, yeah, and everything right down to I mean, open, open you know, the jar. If you, if you yes. wake up, if you wake up early Sunday morning, you're kind of groggy and you really want a peanut butter. I mean, yeah, just dive those in, fingers in, and just put it on the bread. I guess. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Nerd Brand Podcast, everybody. How's everybody doing? Mitch? Great. John? I'm fine. And we have a guest. <laughs> Hi. Totally not following the script, I know. But, uh, you know. Hi, Mary. How are you? Feeling alive. <laughs> Feeling alive. <laughs> it's my first podcast. So. <laughs> well, you know, then you're probably uh, not getting a very good impression because we are absolutely silly when we get onto this thing. Uh, but that's kind of the, the the vibe of our show anyway. So, but on this episode of the podcast, we have Mary Reed. Uh, help me with your last name. Make sure I get it right. Sheffer. Thank you. Uh, from Edge Employment, she is a lead employment specialist. So you earned a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville and a Master of Divinity from Vanderbilt Divinity School. Wow. Yeah, that's... You know, I think I mentally blocked it out a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did some schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 For those that may not know, like she's really smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, don't give them something that I can't live up to. Well, well, the, Va- the Vandy thing kind of stands out. So a <laughs> uh, big football game tomorrow. Oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you went to UT. I know. I tell people that I bleed orange just in case my grandma ever hears. I, I like I'm afraid it'll get back to her, but I actually don't <laughs> keep up with sports at all. So sports yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah. Sports ball. I do that all the time. And like they'll talk like something. And like we were at a I was at a networking event with somebody and they were like talking about some games. And I was just like sports ball, you know, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to make some T-shirts. It says sports ball across it and then that's what we're going to wear when that happens because nerd gear yeah even even jonathan's got a a uofl sticker in the back of his car i mean that says something yeah i didn't put it there yeah (laughs) well nerd brand does have a little bit of a divide because of jonathan with uofl and you with u of k we just i don't think it's really a divide because i don't know if jonathan really has any i need you to stay on that side of the table (laughs) (laughs) fine fine this podcast just went dark We might have to make a little wager toward the end, toward the month, a couple, yeah. a few weeks. I don't know when they play. It's the last game of the season. When is that? Toward the end, end of the month. Okay. Well, like, I say I'm not sportsy, but I did just join a bowling league. Shout out to the Gutter Punks. Wow, wow awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. a great name. I own a bowling ball. <laughs> I've seen one. That's dedication. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long story. I almost put shoes on from a bowling alley, and then I was like, nope, I don't want to put my feet where someone else's has been. <laughs> I just can't do it. I just don't know what it is about me. I'm just like, nope, I'm not wearing those shoes. And they're like, well, then you can't play bowling. And I'm like, I'm cool with that. You can't. You can't play bowling. You can't play bowling. (laughs) (laughs) Again, sports ball. (laughs) So anyways, you said you're a nerd when it comes to employment. So helping people connect with their passions and get paid for it. What could be better? I'm actually reading what you sent us because it made me laugh and I was like I got to read this like as best I can in the tone verbatim and it's like what could be better when it comes to making great employment matches however job descriptions can get in the way as we face labor shortage how employers introduce flexibility into their workplaces customized employment may be the key so let's talk about that that was a beautiful reading by the way that's exactly how I wrote it in my head Uh, yes 
great job. <laughs> School us on the customizable. Yes. Okay. Part. So um, for those of you who don't know what Edge Employment does, we actually represent adults with disabilities to find interesting and well-paying jobs. And the reason I say it like that is because anyone who, um, you know, has been to a grocery store, a movie theater, um, you know, places where they have greeters up front, uh, you'll notice that people with disabilities often get pigeonholed into the same few careers over and over again. And so Edge Employment is really invested in helping people break into the industries that they're really interested in, those very highly valued industries using the skills that are most highly valued in the workplace. So instead of thinking lowest common denominator, what is the easiest thing that anybody could do in this business? One at a time, what is something that this person could do really well in their area of interest and then making those matches one at a time? So a lot of people that are doing the same work uh, use a model called supported employment, where you're supporting someone to fill an existing role within a business. Um, what we do, we do that as well. But something else that we offer, which is kind of an added value service is customized employment, which is kind of the new way of representing folks. And it's basically looking at what are the operational needs of a business? What are the most highly valued skills of a job candidate with a disability? And then making those match in a highly customized way. So whether you're looking for 10 hours a week or 40 hours a week, $10 an hour or $15 an hour, we are customizing that every step of the way. Yeah, that's a that's a desperately needed thing. I think so. I think, um, you know, I say this all the time, customized employment doesn't just benefit um, job candidates with disabilities. It really can benefit any job mm-hmm. candidate, any existing employees. Um, when you're when you're customizing what someone does, um, they're able to take more ownership over that yes. specific work. Um, and, and I think it's easier for people managing people too yeah. and saying every time we check in, we're not checking in about 20 different things. We're checking in about the top five that, you know, are your responsibilities and mm-hmm. you can really take ownership and leadership of and do well instead of doing halfway. Yeah. I mean, uh, John and I, we've had conversations like if we go out and we try to find people like I try to he's got a running tally and list of things that he does on daily for standard operating procedure like that. So if we go out next year and bring somebody in, these are the things he needs that that person needs to do. That way we're not focused on a job title and what that expected title is in some randomized request or descript job description, mm-hmm. you know, we actually have this role. This is what we need. Are you interested? And this is the rate and all that. So to me, that just seems to make sense. You Absolutely. Know? You yes. Know? What's that like, John? Oh, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> I mean, I've, I don't, I have limited experience, I guess. I mean, I've worked at a couple of different agencies and you naturally, you know, there are things that you can do as somebody who touches a bunch of different projects and sits in on different types of meetings and things like that. You know, when it comes to writing a quick line of copy, sometimes it just makes sense for you to do it. You know, you, uh, you're, you're kind of the last touch point of review before something goes to the client. So you kind of get in this mode where like you're QA, you're, you're the final tester. And if something goes wrong, it's on you. So you, you kind of just naturally get all the stuff, <laughs> you yeah. know, on your plate, but Kind of that last line of defense. You are. And realistically, you're the person who has to deal with the fallout if something does go wrong. Uh, not that the rest of the team doesn't, you know, ultimately get the get the brunt of it. But you're the person who gets the phone call. You're the person who gets the Oh, I'm the first the one email. that gets the brunt of his like, I got yelled at. And then I got to go to one of you all and go like, John got yelled at. Now I got yelled at. John, I'm afraid of John. Fortunately, it doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen. I think everybody kind of has pride in their work and, and, you know, 
we we've gone through our kind of growing pains already. So it doesn't, it happens maybe once a year. Well, it's, it's really inevitable. Yeah. I mean, with us, it's probably, I mean, if there were any bumps, it's because you misspelled something. Well, Uh-oh. well not anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't say anything specific, <laughs> specifically, but because we're small and we all wear several hats, yeah. you know, it, I tend to think, and this goes to like, when you talk about working toward people's um, strengths, um, the more you ask of a person as far as responsibilities, you're really watering down the amount of attention they're able to give to each one of those responsibilities, I think. Yes. So in our case, things like that, if it happens, which we've been, we're, we kind of check each other. So we've been very fortunate in that respect. But yeah, I mean, it's, I just think it's a, it's a, a natural outgrowth of not having enough people handling the amount of responsibilities that have to be attended to is you, you can't give as much attention to, to the, each of those things. So something's got to give. Oh yeah. Well, and what I liked, um, what I heard what, with what you were saying, Jonathan is, is that you're writing down what you are actually doing. Right. Right. And so you, in, in y'all's business, it sounds like you have the space to kind of decide what is a priority, what needs to be done first, and then actually writing down what that looks like when so often the people that are writing job descriptions, aren't the ones doing the job. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's HR? where, I, I think yeah. that's where yeah. a ton of the trouble comes in is like, you know, that is their job, you know, and, and it kind of gets delegated to them, but they're not close enough to the work to really know the day-to-day tasks. And for whatever reason, they don't seem to sit down with the people doing the task to get those things out of them. Or yeah. I, I don't know what, I'm pretty sure there's somewhere there's a manual that they all get. They all have to adhere to depending on the state that they're in or whatever. So policy. So they turn to that page and goes, the marketers were, and it's probably not been updated since 1970. Well, they're checking boxes. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so I don't completely like, you know, blame them in a way because they kind of have to stick to policies, policy, you know, and there's legal ramifications for stepping outside of that. But at the same time, when they read that description that was written 30, 40 years ago, like we all know that a lot of things didn't exist in our world of advertising 30, 40 years ago. So, oh, I wouldn't know. you know, they're woefully outdated, I'm sure, if that even exists. Right. And I would, you know, I would count HR and those folks that are probably doing things <laughs> right. outside yeah. of their job and maybe have bad job descriptions, too. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, especially if, if you're talking about, um, you know, if it's a, a longstanding company or organization, they could have been doing the same position 20 years ago and maybe that's what it did look like 20 years ago but right. you know you've got to reevaluate these things constantly yeah for businesses there are codes that determine like your sector like your where you work so if you're in advertising then it's code i don't know it's weird uh, governments do this stuff so we don't so i don't know what that is i look at advertising and go oh that's the code within that they have to be using something in hr to kind of look at that and then judge off of that job descriptions. There has to be something out there. I'm not in HR, obviously. So I'm betting that like to your point where you're saying that that's probably what's out of date and they've got to like, that needs to be reassessed. And it's not as simple as individual companies fixing it. There's legislation that might have to come into play. Well, regulations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And moving on. I feel that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, moving on to the next part here. John's notes. Now, John did a lot of investigation on this. Like he sent me uh all this stuff. So, John, I'm gonna let you talk about this because it's really good talking points about the cost. Like there's a for those who don't know, there's a cost for hiring before that's hired, before the person's hired. There's a cost for, you know, obviously retaining them, and then there's a cost if they leave. So, John, I'll let you 
take it. Well, thank you You're for the welcome. introduction. Yep. Well, after what I've just said for the last five minutes and everything, I'm like, oh, well, let's clean this up. John. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the, the, the overall point being, you know, I think everybody kind of understands if you recruit poorly, if you hire poorly and you have high turnover, there's a high cost to that. I mean, there's no point in training somebody for a year to kind of get to proficiency in a certain role and then they leave. Yeah. And that, that's going to cost you a good amount of money. I think most, most employers hopefully kind of have either lived that or just it's a given, but I had never seen, you know, the types of numbers and the real statistics around that. So one is, you know, when, when top candidates want to work for you, your recruiting costs drop by like 43%, which is thousands of dollars, you know, yeah, working right. with, with a recruiting agency. Um, you know, there's this, this statistic that 50% of workers said they wouldn't work for a company with a bad reputation, even with a big increase in compensation. So we know that like just throwing a bunch of money at somebody is not, or, or your recruitment cycle is not going to fix your problem. So I think that the, the other angle of this, this episode is employer branding. And what does that look like? And mm-hmm. we talk about it from a, you know, the perspective of it's, it's just like going after customers. You have to have a mission. You've got to have a reason to exist. You've got to be able to communicate why, why you as an employer are somebody worth working for. And then you got to show that from an executional standpoint. It's part, it's part of the, that employee, that prospective employees buy-in. I mean, in order to keep your brand sound and solid and to have a consistent um, projection of that brand to the outside world, the people that are in the company working on that brand, doing the work of the brand have to be bought in to some degree or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, going to your point about people not wanting to work for a company that has a bad reputation. Well, <laughs> I mean, how much of themselves can they give to the work creating a high quality work product? If deep down, they, this place is a dump. Right. Well, there's yeah. that. And I think in this day and age, you know, the digital age and, and the way people are kind of trying to build their personal brands and their personal reputation, having a bad employer, you know, or coming from a bad employer sets you up for difficulties finding your next role or, oh, yeah. or it impacts your reputation, you know, potentially, especially if you're in some kind of management or leadership role at a company that then gets a, or has a bad reputation publicly. Yeah. That's going to hinder your, you know, not just you personally uh, pursuing your passions or dreams or whatever, but it's actually going to hurt your career prospects. So I think that stuff being so public now, your resume, your LinkedIn profile, your, you know, your social media profiles and things like that, that being so public makes people a lot more sensitive to who they, you know, what are, what are they willing to give up to just have a job? Yeah. I sense, and it's, it's an entire movement nationwide that, you know, labor, and employers have had this relationship that is based upon um, economics. And now it's becoming based upon mental health and emotions. And, you know, when starting the Genesis and Nerd Brand, it was like, you know, we're going to go operate off this philosophy. And I remember when we first started, and John, you had like, you were kind of like, because you're, John's a very tactical, obviously, because you just heard statistical type thinker. So when he heard, why, how, what, and we got to the how, he's like, all right, procedures. And I'm like, not, no, not really. Um, that's not what that means, even though it says how, and I know it's probably a bad term, but it's like the how is the belief about the why, you know? 
So, you know, we exist because we love helping people better communicate their passions and their, why they exist and also why you should be buying from them, their product or service. The how is because we believe everything is an ad. So therefore we build websites, we do branding, we do a bunch of the, what we call a what, which you can pretty much get from anywhere, but we can do it in house, you know? So that's our entire philosophy. Now, nowhere in there is a procedure or really a process, but there kind of is, you know, because when you get down to it and you're dealing with people and you're dealing with, this is their startup, this is their business, this is where they're at. Well, why are you doing it? We have to hear it because we're actually fashioning a story that will turn into an ad at some point because mm-hmm. everything's an ad. You know, Mitch is going to look at you and go like, yeah, but tell me this, tell me that and tell me this. <laughs> Well, those because those are the things that make, it's like you were talking about, you know, the what. People can get what's anywhere. But what makes people decide to buy their, that what from you versus the other person is the how mm-hmm. and, and the why. Yeah. Because the why informs the how. Yeah, yeah. So somebody else is like, for you guys, like somebody else does your website. Well, well all right, cool. That's not where we hang our hat, you know. I mean... What does it say on the website? What's the imagery on the website? Do those things convey? I've been telling people lately, like even with imagery, um, it's like, do, do you have a picture on your website with the same four people that everybody uses looking at down on a desk? <laughs> you know, Google has caught that now <laughs> and realizes that name, that company, those people don't work there. And it's starting to become a problem on the search results. So that's another podcast, but it's like, to convey through words and that's the message to convey through imaging. That's, that's also part of your identity and message. So that's, what's changing in how businesses need to think about their business, but that's also got to translate to employment because I, if I believe what you believe, I will willfully go and work for you. And the money obviously is there because it will support me financially, but I really believe in this mission and what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And ideally, those are the people you want. When people, again, it's like I said, they're, they're bought in. They, they have a, they, they want to share that common journey and they want to go to the same place that everybody else in the company or the founder of the company who pretty much are founders, whatever the case, that established that, why they do what they do. It's just going to make the company more successful and it's going to present a more consistent image to the world at large, which is ideal, the ideal that everybody strives for. Yeah. 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 So it's very, especially if you've been listening to this podcast, especially today's show, uh, you know, you kind of get like what we're like, um, you know, uh, so I've had, we've had, I've, I don't know about you, John, but I've had people in our organization being like, yeah, I love it here. And like, you know, they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, they know what it's like day to day to kind of what to expect, but they also know they have the flexibility to do like, you know, our web designers just like, I can make some t-shirts and some nerd gear. Mm-hmm. Like, cool. Just make sure you tell Mitch cause he's the creative director. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just communicate. Just let me know. That's okay. <laughs> I know he likes coffee cups. <laughs> We're back to that again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I do, I mean, based on what you guys are saying, I, I mean, um, with the market being so competitive and there's just so many options and with everything being an ad, only increasing our options for things, employees and consumers are now looking beyond like, what am I making and what is the product, right? It is, how is this company invested in me? How is, how are they invested in my community? Um, and it, it really does have to be like more 
than lip service. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, so many people right now, you know, I'll get a false message because, um, their website will say that, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion are top priority for their business. Um, but then I reach out to a diversity recruiter in name. Right. And, yeah. and no one ever responds. Right. So it's like, <laughs> hmm, um, I wonder if it is your top priority, if you're going to say that those things are your values and you have to back it up too, yeah, it yeah. is one of the things that I'm seeing. And a lot of the companies that don't have a statement about DEI on their website or on their social medias anywhere are the ones that seem to be most interested in the idea yeah. of a customized match. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think there is, there is a disconnect there and what people, you know, are, are advertising their values and what they really are versus what they think people want to hear and just kind of saying those things to check off a lip service. Well, it's, it's, you know, we talk about it a lot and that's, I mean, and in, in this case, and we kind of said early on that your brand message doesn't just extend as far as what you're telling consumers. It's what you're saying to your employees and what you're saying to prospective employers or, or employee, prospective employees to make sure that everything you're saying and doing is consistent. It's true. It's, I mean, I'm going to say this word and we're going to talk about, it, I think in the coming podcast, authentic. <laughs> okay. I mean, it, it gets thrown around a lot today, but you've got to, you, you can't just say it. You have to be doing it and you have to be doing it in a way that's organic, that, that doesn't look forced or not doesn't look like you're just checking a box. Yeah. People want to believe in your brand and extends from the outside at the, on the shelf all the way inside of the people that are doing and helping facilitate whatever your service or product is. Yeah. Right. John, you look like you had, like you're just sitting on the well, edge of the seat for a point. I think if you're, if you're a business or a company that has to promote this idea that you're, you have a diverse and inclusive workforce, you shouldn't have to say that. Like, it should ding, be ding, obvious ding. in your. But, but everybody, the thing is, everybody is now, though. Yeah. Well, it's like Nerd Brand. If you look at us, if you go to our about page and you look at who we have and who's on staff, and you're like, oh, okay, it just worked out that way. I didn't purposely plan that. It should be right. a given. Though. But it was well, just, I think if you're yeah. a good employer and a good person, it's yeah. naturally going to happen. Like, they knew they know their stuff. They know their stuff. And that was paramount for me because John and I know that if you do crappy work, you don't get more work. They know their stuff from, so. Well, and you, when you work in, in, uh, you know, a company like yours, which is, is flexible and interested in the skills that are being brought to the table and what people need in order to be successful, like you're, you're working on those problems together. And so much of the time, I think that, you know, diversity inclusion isn't as important as the belonging aspect. I've heard this in a lot of, of D and I like panels and discussions and things where, you know, marginalized employees are the ones giving voice to what they want to see in a workplace. Mm-hmm. And, um, so often it's, it's, you know, bringing the people in who kind of check those diversity boxes, but not hearing what they have to say, not changing what you're doing at all. You know, I think that there are those people. Optics. Yes. I think there are those people that are saying this is how we could change the job description to be more fitting to what I do. Um, but if, if a company is so protective over what they have written down already, um, then you're not, there is not that sense of belonging Mm -hmm. and, and someone has to have a seat at the table in order to be adding, you know, their diverse experience and and perspective to that company as well. Um, so if you're not listening, (laughs) what's the point? (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and I think it's, you know, it's top down. All of that is top down and, and, you know, unfortunately I think leadership at the highest, highest levels has not really gotten, it's gotten more diverse, I guess. I mean, by the statistics, but we still have a big, 
a big gap in diversity and inclusion at the leadership level. <laughs> yes, that is. I mean, that's such a good point, too, because, um, you know, a lot of times I'll go to these networking events where I'm put in contact with the top person, right? The president, the CEO, the strategic guide. And a lot of times they're saying, yes, we want to do that. We want to do customized employment. Um, let me put you in contact with our HR recruitment staff, right? Well, the messaging to them is not coming through because when I get to that point, the people are usually saying, we can't change a job description. Um, <laughs> we can't customize a job description. And it's like, well, your president said you could. Um, and so, yeah, I don't blame the recruitment folks and these HR folks. Like, obviously they're doing what they were hired to do, which, you know, the messaging to them is protect at all cost. Yeah. Um, don't change at all costs. Like, you know, keep it as, as close to what we initially set out for as possible. But at the same time, you're hearing different messaging from the top. And so it's, I think it's kind of everyone saying like, we know what diversity is. We don't know how to incorporate it. So we're going to keep handing it off to someone else and hope so, that they do. It's, it, I wonder yeah. if it's there's a certain degree of fear. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's like I don't, I don't feel like I have the authority to make, to initiate this kind of change or make these kind of adjustments to our, to our approach. Um, but, if so, but if somebody <laughs> up here is saying yes, but somebody down here in the middle, which is, that's where most of the people work in a corporation anyways in the, in the middle is like, I don't feel like I have the authority to or the know how this. Like you said, oh, yeah. it's execution is right. Like, okay. Well, right. I mean, where do I go? Sounds lovely, but what do I do? <laughs> where do I go to get it done? Who do I talk to? Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced that as well because I get into organizations and then they're like, well, we're going to hire you for this job. And it's happened to me. Mitch had a front row seat at it and it was like, oh wait, you know how to do this and this and this and this and this. And yeah. And then they're like, okay, uh, can you take a look at that? And I'm like, sure. And then I do it. And then, of course, I'm the type of person that will do a thing. And then when you smack my hand, that's when I'll quit. So but there's a lot of people out there. They don't they don't work that way. Well, it's it's, it's kind of funny. And, it, and a lot of this goes to things like job descriptions and staying within a tight framework of responsibilities. And it's probably a different mechanism with a smaller company than it is like a larger corporation where you really have to make sure that everybody is kind of marching in in step because uh -huh. there's so many moving parts. Uh -huh. But I'm, I mean, I'm kind of like Jason and that I, in, my, in a previous position, it was a situation where I had the flexibility, like basically take as much rope as I wanted until somebody pulled back and said, okay, you've pulled enough. Yeah. But you but, don't know when that's going to happen. Right. And like, I don't need whiplash, you know? So. Well, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the downside. It's like, well, I, you kind of need some guardrails to say, this is, your lane is wide, but you have to stay within these areas. And in some ways that protects the organization. It keeps you from trying to exercise maybe skills. Maybe you think you have them that are unproven. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It know. also is a great example about why, why you should have brand guidelines or sometimes called brand standards, because it gives everybody that's going to put their hands on that the marketing agency, the social media manager, the video production company, like, Oh, maybe we don't put a drop shadow on the logo. Not picking on you, Robert. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just one of those things, you know, you have to have that. So everybody kind of knows what's acceptable, what's okay. Well, that consistency extends through, it should extend not, it's, that same mentality should extend throughout the, the, you know, the entire company, the entire brand. Yeah, I mean, right. hopefully yeah. you were listing the people who use them. I'm saying the CEO should hopefully have, you know, the utmost respect for those braid standards and, yeah. and not ask for silly things, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. which is not uncommon. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I type up 
regardless, you know, I, I'm a web developer by trade and I, I'm not probably going to quit. So I'll do things and pass that back and forth with Laura and then, you know, gets in John's hands after it goes through niches for creative validation, everything, and to make sure it's on brand. And if I write copy, John gets it and looks at it and goes, well, you know, that's a good thought, but maybe we write it this way, you know, because our tone, you know, where we don't want to deviate from a tonal shift. Uh, which has come up a lot in in some of the stuff that I've been doing and talking with over the past couple of weeks. People are starting to become more aware that how you say it and how you look, they're both equally important. Uh, it's probably harder. I mean, it's one of the things we were talking about is that that same philosophy extending beyond marketing, but throughout the company, as far as maintaining that you yeah. want to create an atmosphere that reflects the brand and it's, and it's real and it's authentic and it's, yep. it, it's organic. Um, it's probably, again, it's a function of large corporations versus smaller businesses. It's a harder lift. The bigger the boat, the longer right. time it takes. Exactly. To it. Yep. Exactly. And the more risky run of people wanting to go, you know, kind of go rogue. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. have a great idea. It's counter everything we're doing from a branding and marketing standpoint, but I'm going to go that way because I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. You got to well, protect yourself from that too. It's so incredibly easy to be critical as well. It's like, <laughs> you know, and we, we are trying to grow a small company to be, a slightly larger company and it's exceptionally difficult just to get one person fit into the right role Mm -hmm. to allow you to take that next step up. It's just unfathomable to me that, that some companies have 3000 employees or 50,000 employees and they're in 12 different countries. And how do you maintain that culture in a way that allows you to accomplish all these things that we're we're talking about are the right way to do things. Yeah. And, and nothing's on fire for anybody that's in this situation. It's not, you know, lost cause. Everything can be fixed and adjusted because every company has expansion and contraction. We all hit plateaus and we all have to figure out how to get beyond them. It's just a natural flow of things. But to what you bring to the table, Marion, and it addresses like if you can start at the base and start customizing more who you're bringing in to do what, if you know what they do or what you need, it makes that goal of growing and that growth actually more obtainable and you don't run into like, Oh, I got too much to do. I can't meet a close capacity or you can't do it because that's not what we do or, you know, yeah. that's what's more intelligent. I, well, I mean, I, you know, I think when I started this work and I think most people's assumption with the work is that it's these super huge employers that, um, you know, could or should be hiring the folks that we're representing. Um, when so often it is not the case. Like I, the success stories tend to lie in the mom and pop businesses and the smaller businesses where the person at the top is still connected to the work that's going on Mm -hmm. day to day. And so they do have that kind of, they have the insight to say, this is what we need. And they also have the power to say, and we're going to fill that need Mm -hmm. (laughs) with this person. Um, where so often, like when we're talking about the larger corporations, I think the buck is just getting, you know, dropped somewhere. You know, like Poor communication. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of goes back to what we said about people are afraid. What can I do? What's acceptable? And you, you brought it up earlier about like, well, I'll pass this along and maybe they'll get it right. Cause I don't really know. And it's like, well, let's all just like, it's a hard conversation, but let's all sit and have it, you know? <laughs> For sure. And, and you'd think that I guess the way that we're doing it would be like a super low pressure thing, right? We mm-hmm. only make one match at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, when you're talking about huge businesses, it's like, you're not going to make or break, uh, you know what you're doing by hiring one customized employee. But I do think that, you know, amidst the great resignation, I will call it, um, you know, people are starting to wonder 
is one move going to have to change the way that I do everything? Um, you know, if we let one person kind of, of have this situation that works for them, well, then we're going to have to make, you know, sure. Everyone that works for us is going to have to have the right situation for them, which sounds scary. But when we're talking about how much you lose, when you lose an employee, um, starts to make a little bit of sense. Yeah. Yeah. The statistics, the, the statistics that John found, I, uh, I was like, wow, like these are percentages that I wish I had chances on winning a lottery ticket, (laughs) you know, but they are not percentages that I want to have scared. Like if I look at our books at the end of the month and go like, "Uh Oh, I just lost 43% there because I didn't have the right fit or something. I mean, I'd replace somebody. Yeah. I mean, now that part should be scary enough, but it's like, you can still have the, you still have the time to take action. I mean, uh, we're seeing in our culture right now, everything change with that. So it's kind of the time. It's a a long time overdue. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like this just happened overnight. The reason, you know, it's happened. It's been, I think the, the mentality has been that you can't have turnover. You can find another employee. There's going to be another skilled person on the other side. And we're seeing that, that's kind of like a 20 year problem that's been ignored uh-huh. and yeah. from the top brands in the world. And now they're like, Oh crap. Now we do have to change everything about the way we, you know, we recruit how we attract talent. And it's not even for me, it's not as much about the fear. I mean, the costs are obviously, you know, significant, but it's more about, do you want to achieve your goals? Do you want to hit that revenue goal? Do you want to whatever launch that, that new product service, whatever it may be, you have to have the right people at the table. That's the only the only way to accomplish it. No amount of technology or marketing and advertising or whatever is gonna, you know, create that potential more than having the right people, the right talent, and retaining right. them and having their buy in to to get to that goal. And I think that's to me that's kind of the philosophy. As we're, I'm I'm a new employer. I, you know, I feel like you you know this is your second rodeo third maybe. yeah i'm trying to forget the first one but keep going <laughs> i'm just saying I'm, I'm trying to find the right mentality to approach all this with and and you know i stumbled on this one where nothing else matters except having the right people on the bus and then you steer the bus and that's kind of the the mentality that i've been taking for like the last six months and that's what really motivated me to start writing down processes start you know i've got a a folder in my apple you know my iphone notes app that is just nerd brand processes of things that I do. And as I get time, I wish I could make it more of a priority, but as I get time, I'd, I'd go through and I'd write down one process for that. Week well, here, here's the, go, here's the golden trick to processes, you know, until you start doing them and analyzing them and observing, especially when you're dealing with people, because people are individuals, you're, you can't develop a process out in a vacuum. When John and I start, first started working together, that was the first thing he wanted, wanted a process. And I'm like, well, I don't know how you and Mitch are going to jive together. So give me a few months to <laughs> no, see how this no, goes. No, I, I like process. You know? too. We all, I mean, we all want rules. I mean, yeah. We all want to know, okay, what are the steps to get from point A to point B? Yeah, because Laura and I, we've done web for decades. So when I put her in a room and I was talking, she was like, yep, one, two, three, done. It was pretty easy to come up with because we just like we're we're old. Oh, that, and that's how we're dogs. That's how web works. Yeah, know, yeah. Web, it has to doing. be. <laughs> well, it's just, it's just, it's always been the same in, in my on the creative side too. There's always a set of processes you go through to get the from the 
the creation to the to the to the final product. There's always been there's always been steps. Yeah. So John's process is he's working on for those listening and or watching is is talking about you're talking about account management, but you're also talking about marketing, like how to handle the account, but also how to do the execution parts for from a tactical perspective. What are you doing day to day in that way? You know, like our branding, we do have a branding process, believe it or not. Now it's continue to evolve as we have had to change and pivot for the market for how people are responding. But we have it, you know, and walking people through it, I've noticed after talking about it for the last month and a half, they're like, that makes sense. So, yeah, you have to develop that, but it takes some time. It just takes time. Well, I think it's a mindset thing. That's kind of what my point was. It's not just going to, you're not just going to wake up one morning and suddenly feel like writing down your processes. Right. It's not fun. No, (laughs) it's actually pretty grueling. And it's like, holy crap, I have like 15 steps to do this one thing. But that's what that next hire is going to need. Yeah. They need something to refer to, to so that they don't have to think. Yeah. So they move faster. They do the right things. You get to where you're going more quickly and more efficiently. Yeah. But it, there's nothing more frustrating than being in a job thinking you know what you're supposed to do, but you need somebody to kind of tell you and you've got nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Mary, are we doing it right? <laughs> I'm, I'm over here just feigning. Like, I'm so excited because so... <laughs> I mean, only me, right? If, if someone is really a nerd about employment, it is me. But y'all are talking about processes and that's something that we uh, really emphasize, right? Is that so much we chalk up to common sense, mm-hmm. um, which is not really a thing. Um, it's subjective, right? Like that's it is, each yeah. person. What we don't realize is that we all learned what we're doing somewhere, Um, and so much of that is the problem when we look at employing people with disabilities is that it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, if you don't know it, um, then, you know, it's not something we can teach you. That's, you know, um, so part of the work that we're doing is, uh, you know, I'm making the initial contact with an employer going in, um, telling them about customized employment and then a a specific person that we have in mind for them. Cause like I said, it is one at a time. Um, And if they're interested, the next thing we do is a needs benefits analysis. So we're coming in, we're looking at everything that's going on, right? Um, And, and we're recording those things too. Who's doing this, this task at what time? How frequently is it happening each day, each week? Um, Just kind of all the things, right? And then once we see a few of the operational areas that would overlap with the skills of a job candidate, we go in and um, watch those steps in depth, right? So like I might sit behind someone doing web development or something for four hours and literally just watch the steps that they're doing. And then it's basically the work of a process engineer from there where I'm writing, I'm, I literally write down the steps and all the employment specialists do write down the steps of each task that we have identified for the person we're representing so that there's no confusion over what sp- someone's supposed to be doing every day. Yeah. Um, that's what I wanted to do with John. But then uh, as soon as I mentioned that, I kind of felt this. Oh. And then uh, of course he does work in his attic and there's only like a foot behind him in the wall. So. I don't fit in the foot area that's there. There's not enough room. <laughs> thank thank but it, goodness. But there's so many more steps than you would possibly even imagine. Right. I'm oh, sure yeah. you're figuring this out, getting into it. But you know that that uh, assignment, I don't know if y'all did, but everyone I know did it in middle school, the peanut butter and jelly making sandwich, right? Like yeah. where you're you're making a sandwich and you have to, you can't do something if it's not written down. Right. And so if, it, if pick up the knife isn't on the uh-huh. list, then it's not something you do. And then it's like, well, do I put the peanut butter on with my hands? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, and everything right down to... 
I mean, open, you open know, the if jar. You, if yes. you wake up, if you wake up early Sunday morning, you're kind of groggy and you really want a peanut butter. I mean, yeah, just dive those in, fingers in, and just put it on the bread. I guess. I mm. Here we go. Yeah. Again. Here we go again. I, you know, well, we're gonna get to we're getting to the <laughs> we're getting to the end here to wrap up, but um, <laughs> but yes, yes, exactly. No, I love a process, um, and I think that 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 thinking about that specifically could go in a lot of ways, right? If we're thinking about do job descriptions need to be shorter and reflect specifically what someone is doing, send someone to write mm-hmm. the steps down mm-hmm. um, and make not just the job description clear, but the actual steps of the task that someone yeah. is expected to do. Um, I, you know, most of the time the the disconnect is with the expectations and, um, you know, uh, neurotypical people or non-disabled people often use um, observation as an extra tool and thinking about, Mm -hmm. Oh, someone's not saying this is what they want me to do, but in watching them, I'm going to do it the same way they did. Um, and, and so we kind of have this, you know, extra tool sometimes that maybe, uh, job candidates with with disabilities may not. And so our job is not to do the training or the onboarding ourselves, but to come in and make sure that communication, um, between, between two very different parties, um, is clear and that everyone knows what is expected of them going Mm -hmm. into a role. Exactly. I was saying, because everybody wants to know in, in the final analysis when they are looking for a job or applying for a job, I need to know what's expected of me because I, I want to succeed, Yeah, but I can only succeed and you can only be successful as an organization if I'm meeting finite objectives. Yeah. I've never met anybody like shows up for a job and be like, like, you know what? I'm going to do a terrible job. See if I can get fired by noon. <laughs> um, I don't know. There've been times. Yeah. Well, you know, but anyway, um, we loved having you on, yes. uh, you know, it's been yeah. pretty, I hope educational for everybody, but it has been for us as well. Um, and you know, I want to give you kind of a little bit, tell people where to find you and tell them about the website and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have all of our social medias up and launched. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, edge employment. And then we also are working on launching a website here in the next few weeks, um, at edgeemployment.org. Um, I will just put a little plug in there. Um, all of our services are free to job candidates and employers. So, hmm. I, you know, this isn't hmm. something I'm selling necessarily. Right. Uh, we need these stories to continue doing the work. And, and so collecting these stories is my ad, right. For mm-hmm. this is, this works. Um, cool. so the, the, the website will be a place where those stories are housed and people can come and see a real life example of what customized employment looks like in a small or large business. Awesome. 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 Well, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please like subscribe, click the bell. If you're watching this on YouTube, we want a vanity URL. We really do. We're getting there. We're getting there. We got some people coming in and going like subscribe, you know, I don't know who some of them are, but thank you. But anyways, yeah, you can go to nerdbrainagency.com slash podcast to find the latest episode of this. You can also check us out all over the social media universe. John at Nerd Brand Agency. Yep. So we want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in. And uh, remember, keep your nerd brand strong. Bye.